You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Super glad that you are here this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Jordan. I'm one of our pastors here at Redeemer, a service pastor of Preaching and Vision. And man, I'm really excited this morning. We're starting a new series in the book of Titus. I named my first, or Sammy and I named our first son Titus because of this book of the Bible. It is such an important book for the church. And um, we're continuing in our renewal journey as a church family. If you remember back to the beginning of the year, if you were around then, we talked about how we we're praying for renewal this year in our lives. And we started off the year in the Psalms, studying the Psalms, and really asking God to do a work of personal renewal in our hearts to kind of reset us and help us um, uh, focus in on God and kind of uh, get rid of other distractions in our lives and, and really uh, seeking after personal renewal as we studied the Psalms. And now, as we move into this series that we're calling A Healthy Church in a Hectic World, we are praying for corporate renewal. So renewal of our church, of this local church. And we're going to study Titus as we pray that prayer. Here's, here's some, I, I, I want to try not to be too dramatic all right? But I think this might be one of the most important sermon series in the life of our church. Here's why. In many ways, our church feels a little bit like it's stuck in traffic right now. And not just this church. I think most churches across the country, coming out of a pandemic and a really divisive election year and all the things that we've all experienced and lived through, I mean, just think about how hectic probably your own family lives have been as you've tried to navigate all of this stuff that has all really, in many ways, happened to us over the last 14 months. In many ways, our, tr- our church kind of feels a little bit stuck in traffic. Here, think of it this way. I, w- I want you to imagine I-35 or Mopac, or whatever, uh, whatever route you prefer to get into Austin, I want you just to imagine kind of I-35 or Mopac when there's no traffic, like when you're just cruising, you know, just cruising down. It's a beautiful day. There's no traffic. Like, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. In many ways, that's what this church family has felt like since we started the church in 2012. Not that everything's been easy and there's been no challenges. Certainly, that's not what I'm saying at all. But really, we've been on this journey together for almost for eight years now of seeking to make the gospel known and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Uh, it really embody the gospel through the way that we live our lives and every, everyday life. We've, we've worked to multiply gospel communities, and we've done that in neighborhoods all over Round Rock and the surrounding suburbs, starting gospel communities in neighborhoods where people are learning to live out their faith, not alone, but in community. We've worked to multiply churches. That's been our vision from the beginning. We want to multiply churches across the central Texas and particularly the suburbs of Austin. God's used us to plant four churches in eight years. Pretty amazing for a church like, like ours. It's kind of like we've been cruising down I-35, and then 14, 15 months ago, it's like, you know, just, you know, red lights, traffic, you're like, oh, you know what I'm talking about, you know that feeling, you're cruising, and then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, here we are, Austin traffic, we're stuck in it, and that's really, in a lot of ways, like what the church has felt like. We've been a bit stuck in traffic, the church in a pandemic, all the things that we've been moving through. Yeah, we've kind of moved a little bit as a church over the last year, but not a lot, and most importantly, we all know what happens when we're stuck in traffic, right? I mean, can we just be honest? I, I remember one time we, I was stuck in traffic, and I think I started calling some other people who, by the way, I didn't know. I didn't know them at all, but I started calling some other people driving in front of me idiots. And my son in the back was like, Dad, who's an idiot? You know, like we, we all know what happens when we're stuck in traffic. All kinds of stuff starts to come out. 
we kind of start to like, whoa, what's going on? Where did that come from? And that certainly happened in our lives and in this church. It's happened, no doubt, over the last year. So much has changed around us. So much has come out. Society has grown more polarized. We've been pulled kind of either this way or this way. If you've tried to stay neutral and focused on Jesus, it's been very difficult because you're constantly kind of getting pulled toward the extremes. Culture has shifted quickly. Life and relationships have been disrupted. Don't discount what that's done to you as life and relationships have been disrupted. It's, it's changed things for you. Things have come out. And here's what I know. Hear me. Here's what I know. That there are some who in the midst of, of all of this, in the midst of all of this traffic, what once felt so clear and certain, following Jesus, committed to the local church, what once felt so clear and certain, now perhaps feels a little bit uncertain. You're not really sure, kind of, where, where, I, where am I now with Jesus? Where, where am I now with the church? And it could be because your attention and your affections have drifted away from Jesus and toward other things, been pulled kind of your attention and affections toward other issues. There have been so many issues that we've been faced with. It could be because this has been a difficult time for the church at large, and you've really had trouble kind of filtering all the unhealth of the church at large that you've seen over the last year, the way people have handled um, uh, conversations about race and racial injustices, the way you've, churches have handled the pandemic or the election. And you're kind of like, I'm not real sure what to do with all that. I don't think that's very healthy. And you've had trouble filtering that even in your own local church experience. Perhaps maybe some of you are not sure really why this even matters anymore. If online church is a great option, you know, just hang out with my coffee and my PJs and I can go to, you know, four churches if I want online in the morning. Like, why does the local church even matter? Maybe for some of you, you're just discouraged. It's just been emotionally draining season, and you're just discouraged. And I think there are some who are considering, will I continue on this journey? Will I continue on in devotion to Jesus, in commitment to his church, or will I take an exit ramp? Will I take an exit ramp? Will I, will I maybe look for a different route? Maybe will I exit and turn around, kind of go back to a, a different way of life. And then there are others of you here, here this morning as we're kicking off this new series, and you are new to this church. There have been so many people that have jumped in with Redeemer over the last couple of months. Like, for you, you've on-ramped kind of in the middle of all this. You've, you've on-ramped in the middle of traffic. And, and, and every time I talk to some of you, I'm like, I can't, I can't imagine what it's like trying to find a new church in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> I just can't imagine visiting churches in the middle of a pandemic. And you've on-ramped in the middle of all of this. Some of you are brand new to Jesus, and you're, you've on-ramped in the middle of all of this. And, and again, hear me. I believe that this series is really important, that it's really timely for all of us. It's gonna, it, here's what Titus is going to do. It's going to call all of us, no matter where we are, it's going to call all of us back to what is most important in the Christian life. And that's Jesus, his gospel, his church, and his mission. It's going gonna, it's gonna to show us what really matters most as we study this book. And so over the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at this little letter, uh, Titus, and we're going to see what we ought to be focused on, what we ought to be measuring. Most importantly, we're going to see what a healthy church looks like, what, how a healthy church lives out their faith together in a particular place. There's a lot going on in this little letter. If you're not already opened up there, I want to encourage you to do that in your Bible. Open to Titus. 
I want you to get familiar with this little letter. It is a dense and loaded little letter. Um, here's what it's not. It's not just the kind of a pen pal correspondence between the Apostle Paul and his buddy in ministry, Titus. Um, it, there is a seriousness about this little letter. Um, it's like a little stick of dynamite. In fact, even the introduction, which Joshua read for us, which will be our text today, the first five verses of the letter, is loaded. There, there's, there's not a longer introduction in any of Paul's letters other than Romans than Titus's introduction. It's, it's long. It's significant. It's loaded. It tells us that there is a lot going on. Here's what it tells us. Really two things today as we look at this letter, as we get introduced to Titus. It tells us first and foremost, who is Paul? I want you to understand that this morning. As you leave here, I want you to have a better understanding of who is the Apostle Paul. He's writing this letter. Who is he and what was the job that Paul had to do? Okay, we want to understand Titus in light of Paul's purpose, in light of his job. And then number two, what's at stake for us? What's at stake for the church? Paul is, is writing with a real seriousness because there is a lot at stake. And so what's at, sta- at stake for us as the church. So here's what I want to pray, and then we will begin to walk back through the first five verses of Titus. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come to you now. We thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. We thank you for the the gift of rain that we received this weekend, and even just a reminder of how it slows us down, God, how it washes and renews and, and feeds and nourishes. And we pray this morning that your word would do that for us, that it would slow us down, that we would open our eyes and our heart and our minds to hear from you. Lord, would you just rid us of any distraction even this morning, and would you wash us and nourish us with your word? Lord, we pray that you would use this study of the book of Titus to bring renewal into our church, to reset us on what matters most, reset our gaze on the gospel and on glory. God, reinvigorate uh, our lives to be lived for your name and for the good of, of, your, of your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look back at Titus 1, 1 through 5. Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages and began at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, My child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained into order. So, first question, who is Paul? Who is the Apostle Paul? What is the job that he's been given? Well, Paul reminds us in verse 1 and 3 who he is and what he's been called to do. He says, he's a servant of God. That word servant is uh, is the word bondservant. He's, and later in Titus, he's actually going to talk to those and those Christians in Crete who were bondservants, and he's going to give them some instructions. But he says he's a bondservant to Christ. He's, a, he's a, a slave of Christ. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he has been, in verse 3, he says, entrusted by the command of God with preaching the message of the gospel. Now, I want you to think for a second. Why would Paul introduce himself this way? Well, it's, it's important to Paul that people know his story 
and his unique calling that Jesus has given him. And so he's reminding Titus, who, by the way, Titus would have known Paul's story. Titus traveled with Paul. He was a co-worker, a, a, a laborer in the gospel. They were planting churches together and pre-traveling and preaching. Uh, we can read about this in the book of Acts. So Titus would have known Paul's story, but it's important for, for Paul to, that people receive his instructions in light of his story and his calling. And so he's reminding us who he is, what he's been called to do. Flip over with me to Ephesians chapter 3, if you have your Bible. Flip over there. I think it'll be on the screen as well. Paul does this actually in almost all of his letters to the churches. He reminds people of his job, of his calling that Jesus has given him. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says it this way, Ephesians 3, 7 through 11. He says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given me, so this job, this calling, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. If you're in a Bible underliner in Ephesians 3 right there, underline the word plan. Paul basically is saying that he has been given a two-fold job description by Jesus. Remember, remember Paul's story. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the resurrected Lord Jesus. Okay, Jesus lives and dies for sinners. He raises from the dead, and then he appears to his disciples, and he commissions them, and he says, Go into all the world and tell everyone of what I have done for you of my death, of my burial, of my resurrection, of my second coming. And then Jesus appears to this man in Acts chapter 9 named Saul of Tarsus. Saul hated Christians. Saul hated the church. He was a hunter of Christians. He would throw people in jail because of Christ. He wanted to stamp out Jesus in this Jesus movement in the first century world until he meets the risen Jesus. He meets, meets the risen Jesus, and Jesus blinds him in his glory. And he says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he takes this man, Saul, and he repurposes his life for his glory, for Jesus' glory. And Paul is telling us here exactly what that was. He says, he called me to be the one who would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I would be the one who would preach the good news outside of Jerusalem and Judea, if you're a Christian this morning, it's because of this calling of the Apostle Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So he says, that was part one of my job, to begin to take the gospel to the Gentiles and preach the gospel. But he says, number two, the second part of, of my job was to bring to light or to reveal God's plan for his church. To, to, to show you what the church is supposed to be, how the church is supposed to function, what the church is supposed to look like. In other words, um, in Acts chapter 9, Jesus chooses Paul to preach to the Gentiles. The Spirit sends him out in Acts chapter 13. And then throughout the rest of the book of Acts, what we see is we see Paul and Barnabas and Timothy and Titus, Paul and his team basically, establishing churches. Paul even goes back to Jerusalem and confronts Peter. Why? Because the church was getting out of line. And it was Paul's job to reveal to us how the church ought to function, what the church ought to look like. And so why do I tell you all of that? <laughs> You're like, all right, man, that's enough. That's enough like New Testament for one sermon. Um, here's why. We have to receive this letter Titus in light of Paul's calling. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, 
that it was his job to lay a foundation for the church. He says he's the master builder of the church. He gives the blueprint. He gives the, he gives, he's the architect. Jesus shows him how the church ought to function. And then he says in, verse, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Titus, this is why I left you in Crete. They had been in Crete together. Paul had been preaching after his first release from prison in Rome. He'd been preaching in Greece, and they established a, ser- a network of churches on this tiny, tiny little island in Crete. And he says, Paul, this is why I left you there, that you might finish the job. A lot of scholars believe that Paul was sent back. The reason he left is he was sent back to Rome, back into imprisonment, where he was then eventually killed. This letter was written just shy of two years before Paul was killed. And he says, Titus, this is why I left you there. Someone's got to finish the job. Someone's got to carry on the work. In other words, he says, look back at verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Let me translate all of this for you very simply. Paul is saying, finish putting together the puzzle pieces so that the local churches in Crete reflect Christ to the world. Finish putting the church in order so that it accomplishes and fulfills Jesus' vision for his church. The local church matters. It matters. This is why I left you there, he says, that you would put the church in order. You might not realize this, but the local church is the most formative thing in your life when it comes to what, what, how you understand Christianity. Let me say that another way. If you are a Christian here this morning, the most formative thing in your life, the, the thing that has shaped your understanding of what it means to be a Christian more than anything else is your experience in the local church, all right? Um, my wife did not grow up in the church. She did not become a Christian until she was in college where she heard the gospel and Jesus saved her. Um, I grew up in the church, and there are times where I'm like with some of my friends uh, who also grew up in the church, and we'll start talking about things, and she's just like, what? Like, you did what? She's like, a church van? What's a church van? You know, <laughs> she's like, she's, she's like what, what are you guys talking about? Iwanas? What is Iwanas? You know, your experience of what it means to be a Christian is shaped primarily by your experience in the local church, which is why the local church matters. Because an unhealthy local church is going to produce unhealthy discipleship and unhealthy Christianity. And the opposite is also true. This is also true for people who are not Christians, for non-believers. Their understanding of what it means to be a Christian is shaped by their interactions and experiences, however limited they might be with the local church. What they think about Jesus and his gospel is primarily influenced by their experiences of the local church. My wife and I have intentionally always try and find some, some spaces in our lives to be around non-Christians. Um, and, um, and so you probably have some of those spaces in your life as well. Maybe probably your work is a, is a big area of your life, primary area of your life where you're around non-Christians. If, if my work, if I was around a lot of Christians or non-Christians in my job, we'd be in trouble, all right? Uh, but thankfully, I work on the church staff, so I'm around a lot of Christians. So my wife and I try and find some spaces in our lives to be around non-believers, and, and right now, one of those spaces in our lives is through baseball. A lot of you guys know this. Our kids play a lot of baseball. And I have the opportunity to coach my youngest son's team. And recently, I was having a conversation with one of the guys who uh, helps coach the team with me. And, um, and we were just talking about what a great season they've had, how much fun it's been, what a great group of kids and parents that we have. And, and he just said to me, he said, yeah, honestly, man, when I found out that, that uh, you were our coach and that you were a pastor... 
Um, and I was going to be helping a pastor or coach. He was like, honestly, I wasn't really sure what to think, how that was going to be, what that might be like. And then he said, but, you know, it's been kind of cool. Like, you're really fun. <laughs> and so I'm like, I don't know what you expected a pastor to be like. But apparently you, you didn't expect a pastor to be very fun. And so I get to talk, I start talking with him a little bit more. And I come to find out that his experience, he had grown up in a really legalistic church, a very religious setting. And he had just rejected all that. Like he had rejected Jesus because he had kind of grown up and had some experience in a very religious, legalistic church that was very condemning and very unhealthy. The local church matters. Do you get my point? The local church matters. It matters that the church is healthy. It matters for you and your own discipleship, and it matters for our witness in the world. And so Paul is, is, is saying here, Titus, it's so important. There's so much at stake. Finish putting the church in order. Get it healthy. And then he's going to go on throughout the rest of this letter, and he's going to show us exactly what a healthy church looks like and lives like. Three things he's going to say in this introduction that are at stake. Three things. If the church is not healthy, here's what's at stake. Let me look back at the text. Look back at the introduction one more time. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here, here it comes. Here's what's at stake. For the sake of the faith of God's elect, their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the age began. Three things that are at stake. He says, this is what's at stake for you. This is what's at stake for me. This is what's at stake for those in our city, Lord willing, that we will reach if the church isn't put in order and healthy. Number one, the faith of God's elect. Here's what was going on. We're going to talk a lot more about this next week, but what was going on in the church in Crete, the churches in Crete is that things were kind of getting, were starting to get hectic for this young church. Paul started this church about, about 18 to 24 months before this letter was written. Um, and what we'll see next week is that, that there was, the, the Cretan culture was kind of starting to, to to seep into the church. So in other words, worldly ways of thinking and living were starting to seep into the church. Let me, let me just give you some examples of what that might look like in our context, in our culture. Worldly ways of thinking and living infiltrating the church. Um, maybe something like this. You know, hey, here's what life is all about. Life is all about making as much money as we can, um, you know, uh, advancing ourselves, um, you know, uh, uh, next house, better job, kind of American dream, right? The American dream, that's, that's a cultural narrative. That's a cultural, worldly way of thinking of our current culture that could start to seep into the church. Life's all about money. Life's all about possessions. Life's all about progress moving forward. Let me give you another example. Another example would be, hey, um, I am my own authority. Uh, I make decisions of my own life. Nobody can tell me how to live or what to do. Um, I am my own authority. I determine who I am. I determine, uh, you know, my, my own gender, whatever it might be. Like, I am autonomous. I am my own authority. That's a worldly way of thinking that could start to kind of seep into the church and get the church unhealthy. Maybe here's another one. Um, uh, looking to other things or other saviors to fix ourselves or our problems, right? Hey, that politician, that politician will fix things for me and will fix things for us. That agenda, that, that will set all of the world's problems right. That thing, that policy, that will fix us and that will fix our world. We got to be all about that. That starting to seep in the church can start to get, uh, cause problems and, and kind of get Christians um, off-center. And this is what was happening in the church in Crete. Paul is going to call these people 
false teachers. And we're going to look at a lot, this a lot next week, but you can think of it this way. Um, when he uses the word false teachers, what he's really meaning is unqualified voices. Unqualified voices who, are, he says, are promoting myths um, in the church. And, and so the church is getting hectic because of these uh, cultural, uh, worldly ways of thinking and living that are seeping into the church. And so what he's going to say is he's going to say, for the sake of the faith of God's people, appoint qualified leaders to lead the church and combat all of the health, unhealthy ways of thinking and living. So we're going to look at that next week, what it looks like to have qualified leaders, to be submitted to qualified leaders, and the leaders of churches, our responsibility to teach and proclaim the gospel and keep the gospel centered. But here's why Paul is going to talk about that. He says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. In other words, when the world gets hectic, our faith gets fickle, okay? When the world gets hectic, when life gets hard, your faith gets fickle. And so what he's saying is what you're going to need is you're going to need people calling you back to the truth, lovingly exhorting you and leading you back into the truth because culture is always changing. Science and technology are always changing. Political agendas are always changing. But the truth of God, he said, never changes. God never lies. The gospel never changes. The gospel is always the answer. It is always the solution for us. And so this is what we need. He says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Our faith is at stake. Now, I don't believe that Paul believed that these Christians, that, or you or I, would lose our faith. I don't think that's what he's saying, hence why he says God's elect, right? We can't lose what we don't earn. We are saved by grace, through faith, by the work of Jesus Christ, by grace through faith alone. We can't lose what we don't earn. But here's what I think he's concerned about. I think he's pastorally concerned about all of the heartaches and the confusion and the division and the sin that Christians will experience when we start to get fickle and waver in our faith. In other words, when our faith wavers, our lives wander. When our faith wavers, our lives start to wonder. And this is what Paul is concerned about. He says, appoint leaders that are going to teach sound doctrine and call Christians to keep their lives centered on the truth. When our faith wavers, our lives wander. In fact, that is the connection to his second point, the second thing that's at stake. He says, so for the sake of the faith of God's elect, and then he says, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. When our faith wavers, our life wonders. Our lives wonder. And so what he's saying here is for, the, for their knowledge of the truth, that word knowledge really could be acknowledgement of the truth is really probably the better way to even translate it from Greek into English. When we are, what we acknowledge, in other words, where your, where your time goes, your mind goes, okay? What, think about what's central in your life. Where your time goes, your mind goes. And where your mind goes, your life goes. And where your life goes, your affections go. You are, you become what you love most. You are, you become what you love most. Just think about your life. Where your time goes, your mind goes. And so he's saying, for the sake of their faith and their knowledge of the truth, which produces godliness. In other words, he's saying, if Christ is not central in your heart and in your mind, then your life will not follow suit. Your life will follow some other thing, some other savior. I love this song. There's a song by Tim Hughes, a worship song. It's probably over a decade old now, but 
It's titled, Be My Everything. And I love this song because it's just a prayer of someone who knows what it's like to kind of, to kind of lose sight of the truth and then wander away from Jesus. And the lyrics go like this. Just, just listen to this. I want to read this to you. It's a prayer in the form of a song. It says, God in my living, there in my breathing. God in my waking, God in my sleeping. God in my resting, there in my working. God in my thinking, God in my speaking. Be my everything, be my everything. God in my hoping, there in my dreaming. God in my watching, God in my waiting. God in my laughing, there in my weeping. God in my hurting, God in my healing. Be my everything, be my everything. Christ in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. You are everything. Be my everything. That's how he ends the song. What's central in your life? What's central in your life right now? Where is your time going? Where is your mind going? Where is your money going? What do you think about in the morning or in the evening? What is forming your life? It's either Jesus and his gospel, it's acknowledgement of the truth of Jesus, or it's something else. What is giving shape to your life? Paul is concerned about this. And then finally he says, for the sake of their faith, for their knowledge of the truth, and and really what they're living in light of, and then number three, their hope of eternal life. We're going to talk more about this when we get to chapter three in this series. But in short, he tells Titus to remind us that the world is passing away. For us to remember that we've been saved by Jesus out of this world, from this world. And so when life gets hectic, we, we ought not get too caught up in the things of this world. Instead, we ought to keep our gaze on our future glory in Jesus. Um, let your eyes go over to Titus chapter 3. Look over at Titus chapter 3 really quickly. I want to I read this to you. This is really what he means here. Again, this introduction is really an overview of where the rest of the letter is going to go. And here's what he's talking about when he says their hope of eternal life. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 7. Listen to what Paul says. He says, Remind them that we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. In other words, We used to be dead in our trespasses and sins. Remember who you were before Jesus showed up. Remember the way you lived. Remember how empty you were. Remember how how, how you needed the grace of God to save you out of sin and death. And then he says in verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He saved us from this world, out of this world, not that we might get stuck in the stuff of this world, but for glory, but for glory. We are sojourners, the Bible says. We are passerbyers, and it's so easy to get caught up in the here and now, especially when life gets hectic, and he, he's, uh, Paul is not going to let that happen. He says, a healthy church are people who keep their eyes fixed on glory. Who are He's going to go on and say, who are zealous for good works because they know that Jesus is coming back. See, there's a lot at stake. We need this letter. Your faith, your life, your hope, your future, 
is all at stake. You need the church. You need a healthy church because you are prone to forget the gospel. You are prone to fall into sin and unbelief. We are all so quick to lose hope. We are fickle in faith. We are people who are easily formed by other voices and other stories and lies of the enemy. But God, he is gracious. He has not abandoned us. He has provided us with his son. In Jesus, there is unlimited forgiveness for us. There is unlimited redemption for us. There is access to renewal for us in Jesus. Grace is abundant for you and for me, even when we wonder, even when our faith is fickle, even when we live our lives for lesser stories and are shaped by other voices, even when we sin, God's grace is abundant for us in Jesus. Amen. And not only has God provided his son, but God has graciously provided us with his people. Do you know that the church is a gift of grace for you? It is a gift of God given to you. It is a gift of grace, the church is. He's provided us with his body. He's provided us a means and an environment in which we might grow in faith. It is God's appointed means, the local church. It is the fertile soil that God has provided that you might grow in faith, that you might grow in godliness and Christ-likeness, that you might grow in hope. Apart from the local church, there is no growth in faith, hope, and love. This is why Paul is writing. He says, Titus, finish the job. There's a lot at stake. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to dive deep into this letter. We're going to look at all of the things that are at stake. Finally, just really simply, how does this apply? What's the takeaway from today? We're three things. Here's number one. You need the church. You need, you need the local church. There's too much at stake for you if you keep your distance, if you take an off-ramp, if you turn around. You need the local church. Your, your joy, your peace, your growth in Christ, it's all at stake. I can't help, as, I, as I've thought about this sermon this week and I thought about Titus, I, I can't help but think about Jesus in Matthew 15 when he tells the parable of the sower. And you might be familiar with the parable of the sower, but I'll give you the short version. Jesus says that that there's a sower who goes out and he sows seed. And he gives some kind of different categories. He says the gospel is the seed. The gospel is going to go out in the world. And the seed is going to land on, for some, it's going to land on on hard soil. In other words, it's not going to take root. There's going to be some who just reject Christ and they do not receive him. And then he gives the other extreme. He says there's some where the seed is going to land on fertile soil. And it's going to land on a fertile heart, a warm heart. And, and the seed's going to take root, and it's going to grow, and it's going to yield fruit. And it's going to, and it's going to yield fruit and yield fruit and yield fruit. But he gives another category, and I, and I haven't been able to shake this. I've just kind of thought about this category. He says there's some, though, that the seed falls in shallow soil. The gospel falls in, in, the, in shallow soil. And he says, though it might take root for a while, and it might bear fruit for a while, He says that the cares and the concerns of the world are like thorns that come in and choke it out. And over the last 15 months, not not, not just in this church, but in my life, my friends, other pastor friends I know, other Christians, people in my family, I've watched people start to just wonder and their faith waver and their lives wander away from the local church and maybe even away from Jesus. And I can't help but think, is this happening? Are the cares of the world kind of coming in and choking out that little seed of faith that was in shallow soil? Is that's what's happening? Listen to me. 
You need the church. The church is the fertile ground by which you grow up in grace. It is the fertile ground by which Christ keeps your soul. You need the church. Not only do you need the church, but hey, listen, the church needs you. The church needs you. We're going to see this throughout the rest of Titus. If the church is going to be healthy, it's because you're here. It needs you. And I'm, yes, I'm talking to you, like every one of you. The church needs you. Jesus says that we all, the body has many members and many parts. That we individually belong to one another. Paul says that in Romans chapter 12. The church needs you. You have a role to play in the church. You have a posture to take. And if you don't take your post in submission to Jesus, his word, for his glory, then this church won't ever be able to be the healthy church that Jesus died and rose again for it to be. So we're going to look at that uh, when we get into chapter 2. There, we, You'll see clearly what it looks like for you to find your place in the church, but the church needs you. And then finally, you need the church, the church needs you. This city needs this church. This city needs this church. Um, remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3 that we read a while ago? He says that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is put on display. In other words, think of it this way. What he's saying is it's through us, it's through every local church, the diversity and the uniqueness of every local church that the multifaceted, that's what that word manifold means, the multifaceted glory of God in the gospel is put on display. This city needs local churches of all different sizes and shapes that are displaying different facets of the gospel of grace. In many ways, you could think of it this way. Think about what a good movie trailer does. Anybody watch a good movie? Is there any good movies coming out anyway, by the way? I mean, are we about to start getting some more movies? I hope so. Think about what a good movie trailer does. You watch a good movie trailer, and what do you do? You're like, oh, man, I got to see that movie. Like, that looks awesome. I got to see that. You're like, can I justify paying like 50 bucks to buy it through Disney Plus? You know, like, like that movie looks awesome. I got to see that movie. It pulls you in. It intrigues you. It, it shows you kind of not all of the whole story, but it shows you like the parts of the story that, that, that you're like, I, I got to know more about that. That's what the local church is supposed to do in the city. That's why healthy churches matter. We're like a, we get to be like a movie tra- trailer, a preview of the gospel, a preview of the coming, coming kingdom that we get to hold out and hold up and hold out the truth to our city and to our neighbors and to our friends, not in a pushy, hateful way, not in a turn and burn kind of way, but in a, hey, Jesus is real. Look what he's doing in our life. He's beautiful. He's glorious. Why don't you pull up a chair? Why don't you come on and be a part? Why don't you come and explore how Jesus can do for you what he's done for me, what he's done for us? This city needs a healthy church. I want to ask you as we close to consider from your own perspective, what story are we telling the world right now as a church? What, what story are we telling the city as a church? Just from your perspective, would you just consider that question? What story are we telling? What are we holding out? What truth are we holding out? If someone was to get a glimpse of this church, what do you think they'd see? Would they be intrigued? Would they get glimpses of the good news of Jesus? Would they want to pull up a chair? You know, I really hope so. I really, really do. I I hope so. I think they would. I hope so. But honestly, if I'm honest with you just as a pastor, I don't really know. I don't really know. There's still a lot of traffic. 
still feels like we're in traffic. There's still a lot of congestion. There's still a lot of other stuff, you know, that's kind of like pulling our time and our attention and our mind and our heart's affections. And there's still a lot of traffic. We're still feels like we're still a bit stuck on I-35. Maybe we're like starting to clear the traffic and we're, we're almost there, but we're not out of it. So I don't really know what they would see, but here's what I do know. I do know that there is renewal available for us. I know that. I know that Jesus is risen and reigning. I know that he loves his church. I know that he's still praying that prayer in John 17 for his church. I know that his Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is ready to breathe upon us, family. I know that there is plentiful forgiveness and grace in Jesus. I know that Jesus loves and lives to restore us and restore his people. I know that over the next nine weeks, we will all have opportunities to let the word of God through Titus be like a health screening for our lives and for our church. I know that we will have so many opportunities if we engage to make changes, to repent, to obey, to love, to learn, to grow, and Lord willing, to get a bit unstuck from all of the traffic and to get back on the path of gospel, community, mission for the glory of our great Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we give thanks to you for your word. We do pray, God, that you would renew us. You would refocus us. You would reset us. We thank you for this letter that you've given to another church. We thank you, God, that we're in good company. We're in the good company of the early churches of the scripture. That life does get hectic, that things do get hard, that we do get distracted, that we are prone to waver and to lose focus. And we thank you, Lord, that the gospel of grace is sufficient for all of our weaknesses. So would you renew us, we pray, Holy Spirit. Would you teach us over the next nine weeks as we study your word what it means to know Christ, what it means to have our faith solidified in Jesus and Jesus alone, what it looks like for us to live our lives and, and with acknowledgement of the gospel, lives of godliness, of Christ-centered, Christ-adorning, Christ-exalting lives wherever we are, wherever we go that our lives would make much of you and would tell the story of your grace. We thank you for your word that reminds us of our hope, that we, this world has got nothing for us. It's rubbish. But with you, there is eternal hope. There is hope of glory. There is a kingdom that is coming. You will make all things right. You will make all things new. Lord, as we respond to your word this morning, I pray that you would continue to meet us, that you would minister to us. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.